Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes introverted athletic entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. Today, we have an amazing guest on our show, Mr. Graham Moffat. You've coached at the international rugby level with professional athletes. You've ran provincial sports programs, youth programs, and men's programs, women's programs. And now you're in charge of implementing, designing, and starting up women's university athletic programs and also helping set up new coaching programs throughout the university. Pleasure seeing you here today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while since I've seen you. I had the pleasure or displeasure of coaching Dave back in uh, 2005. (laughs) When I had my first stint in Canada uh, with the mighty Red Deer Titans, uh, I would say Central Alberta was the centre of my universe back then. I uh, have some amazing fond memories. And, uh, you know, here I am 17 years later after right. <laughs> after one summer still in Canada. It's crazy. Yeah, you've kind of, like, transformed this dream of, like, taking your <clears throat> childhood sport and turning it into a career for yourself. Like, how, how has that unfolded for you? What is it you call it? A jobby. It's like your job and it's your hobby. So it's uh, it's fun. No, I mean, I was really lucky. Um, I worked in Scotland as a rugby development officer and then um, kind of took a six-month sabbatical to come to Canada back in 2005 and absolutely fell in love with the country, the people, uh, the summer. The winter, not so much, but the summers are amazing. <laughs> and um, I've just ended up, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I went back to the UK, taught post-secondary education for five years, and then a full-time coaching job came up back here in Calgary in 2010. So I was able to get a two-year sabbatical from my teaching position in the UK, um, and then that two years ended up in two and a half years, and then I got a, I, you know, then I worked, applied for my residency, and I've been here coaching, uh, coaching kind of on and off uh, ever since. So, uh, and amongst holding a couple of other positions and, you know, now fortunate to be back in a kind of full-time coaching position, uh, which combines, um, you know, supporting the other varsity coaches at the University of Lethbridge, which I'm really enjoying. So it's been a quite Amazing. a whirlwind. No yeah. kidding, right? And if you had planned any of this out, do you think it would have ever happened? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I didn't anticipate I would be here for this long. Um, <laughs> I was a pretty young coach and, figured I'd have to go somewhere where the rugby maybe wasn't as, um, that's what I'm looking for, you know, maybe wasn't as established, right. um, you know, and um, I've no idea why, but when Red Deer gave me a player coach job at the age of 22, many people would probably turn their nose up, like, what are they doing? But that was the, you know, kind of where it, you know, where it all started. But um, I figured I would end up back in the UK or Europe somewhere. Um, but this, the, this amazing country has created lots of opportunities and uh, I'm very grateful for them and to live in a great place. And uh, my wife's from Saskatoon. My kids were born here. They're nine and six. Uh, and they're a handful and they're busy. So, you know, obviously, given that I'm in our home office today, hopefully I don't get any intruders. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. That's that's quite all right. Yeah, I've seen seen photos of your kids now. And you've got them spinning the rugby ball and and uh, and play, playing as well. So. Yeah, we're all back at the yeah. rugby for the summer. My uh, my wife's going to play for the Canadian Classics against the U.S. Okay. over in Newfoundland. 
I'm going to play in the Mighty Titans 50th anniversary game, and then my kids are registered for their summer flag rugby season. So yeah, be all be all pretty full summer. Nice, amazing. So really, as this 22 year old rookie coach, basically, you you made a name for yourself quickly, and uh, you've actually moved up the the ranks in Rugby Canada, even being a, an assistant uh, during one of the Rugby World Cups. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was worked with the national team programs from um, 2011 uh, through to kind of just the end of 2017, early 2018. So, um, yeah, it was really good. Actually, I worked with some some great people, um, had some really cool experiences, met some unbelievable coaches that I've learned uh, tons from, um, which has been, you know, which I think I've been incredibly fortunate to do. But as you said, established a name for myself. We probably got lucky, Dave, more than anything. And it's uh, you're probably probably with the uh, was it the Dunning Kruger effect, you know, where your confidence is high and you kind of reach the peak of Mount Stupid and you but really you know nothing, and then you get to the valley of despair, then eventually start to learn some stuff and you kind of get a bit more competent. <laughs> you know, that was probably probably my journey. Um, you know, I've always been uh, an experienced guy, and you know, if we can create the right environment, then you know we're a bit more likely to succeed. And you know, certainly think we did a bit of that in 2005 it might not have been sustainable but certainly worked for that uh, for that six month period of time oh definitely so what what was your experience you, you mentioned that you've had had the um, experience and pleasure to be under some of these these amazing coaches uh do you have an example and a, and a couple stories uh from from any of them how long have you got? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, um, so back in, I was, I, you know, when you're young, you probably don't realize how good the coaches that you had as a player were, you know, because right. you probably yeah, get absolutely. a bit, um, you know, you're probably just angry and f- you probably don't get selected. So you're angry at the coach, even though there's probably miles better players than you. And so, uh, you know, when I was a young player, my home club in Scotland called Curry Rugby Club, um, a guy called Graham Hogg was one of the coaches. He coached Scotland A. He was a gnarly, aggressive man, uh, incredibly passionate about the sport. Um, There's another guy, Ali Donaldson, who was a coach for a long time at our club. He was a, he was a good coach. Went on coached the Scottish club uh, international team, and you know did some really good stuff with uh, some some school rugby. Um, you know, we're fortunate at the time. Todd Blackadder, who was the ex All Black captain, um, had a brief stint at our club as a coach. And uh, oh, so you have, yeah, we've had some lots of exposure as a kind of young player. Um, you know, like most young people, I probably had fell out with them at some point and kind of bounced around another couple of clubs and, you know, I ended up over here. And in 2011, I got a chance to work with a guy called Michael Shelley. And so Mike was the, uh, took a position as the kind of academy coach for Canada and was the national under 20 coach. So Mike had, um, he played over 300 games in the English Premiership. I think today's probably still the most cap prop forward in the English Premiership. Uh, we captain Leeds, uh, Leeds for a long time so I got a kind of role with him he was the head coach I was the assistant coach and Mike's an incredibly smart man very intelligent very opinionated and strong-willed and so uh, you know he's definitely a good guy to you know to work alongside and he was great and through that time you know Mike uh, seen the value in trying to develop coaches and so he brought in um, a guy called Mick Byrne came in and so Mick okay. was the New Zealand All Black Skills coach won obviously the two kind of World Cups with him he was with Australia at the 29 World Cup, um, went to the Olympics with the Canada Women's Sevens team as head coach, so a wealth of experience. Uh, Mick was also the skills coach in Scotland, so Mick brought uh, Mick was brought in to you know help Mick, uh, Mike with his development, and 
obviously we got to work alongside him for a while, which was really cool. And then um, BC Rugby actually run a conference where they brought in Graham Henry and um, Wayne Smith, probably two of the best rugby minds in the in the, in the entire world. And uh, they they kind of worked along and ran our, our under-20s for a couple of days. And so it was really cool just to see how they operated and see how they coached and just the dynamic between the two of them. And kind of made me realise that how important it is that the people that you coach with um, are on the same page. You've got a clear vision for what you're trying to do. And then right. really have an understanding of how each other operates and how each other work. And that cooperation and that uh, co-coaching um, was probably awesome. It was awesome to see. And then... More recently, um, you know, Russell Earnshaw is a guy in England. Uh, used to coach England Sevens. He's, he's an incredibly smart guy too. Um, you know, uh, learned a lot from him. And then uh, obviously just the last thing we've been doing over COVID is uh, for a coffee club every Friday where we get coaches together and we talk. They always say that, was it novice coaches go on courses and experienced coaches go for coffee? So, um, <laughs> You know, we've done an unbelievable amount of learning in the last uh, and over the last couple of years during this kind of crazy time the world's been in. I'm so grateful now that we actually get to go and try and take some of the learning and apply it and actually see what works and what doesn't and fail and fail again and keep failing and keep trying to figure things out. So, Right, definitely. Yeah, fail and fail again. That's uh, that's probably something that, that's been tossed around uh, some of the, the rugby locker rooms in Canada a little too much recently. Uh, what, where do you think the talent is and where do you think uh, we're, we're going with, with building that talent? Oh, and I what's missing? Also, yeah, I mean, I think the reports have just been published in the last day or two, you know, haven't been very honest. Um, you know, it's a strategy. We don't have a high performance plan and, you know, maybe it's accurate. I'm not sure. I've not been around that environment for a few years, but I think we, we, we've got a lot of work to do and everything's going to have to be a longer term approach. And, you know, I think in the world that we live in, it's uh, we want an overnight fix, you know, right. it's a, it's a insta, insta this or insta that. And we think that, you know, success is going to happen overnight. And I think whatever Rugby Canada chooses to do, is going to have to have a long-term approach to player development and, uh, you know, and actually put in, um, some good development models. Uh, there's some really good examples that have happened uh, across the world. Um, but ultimately, it's finding what's going to be the best way for Canadian rugby to move forward, not just copy and implement a model from other countries. You know, I, I come in, I want to do it the Scottish way. An English guy comes in, wants to do it the English way. You know, right. like a New Zealander comes in, he wants to do it the Kiwi way. And before you know it, we've got no identity. So how do we establish what our identity is going to be and then actually spend the time uh, and the resources where we... Um, you know, in the areas that we need to spend it, you know, I think we often get caught up between policy and politics and not necessarily working on people and, uh, you know, actually spending the time on the ground coaching and supporting players to be the best versions of themselves. Right. Now, you mentioned the politics side and people side. So you've done everything from youth development, uh, running programs, overseeing basically provincial rugby in Alberta, uh, once again, coaching the within the national side and uh, and now with, with the women's programs at the, the university level. And rugby, especially in Canada, is just such a diverse group of individuals. Like you have so many different personalities, opinions, and all of those are being shouted at, at each other. So really, like how have you managed that in all these executive director roles and leadership positions when you're taking 
such, once again, diverse and opinionated topics and being able to actually turn it into something. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think it's always, um, you know, you have to be the, the vision caster, then I think you have to be the vision carrier. And I think, um, you know, establishing, you know, where do we, where do we want to go? Where do we want to be? I think that's always really important. And just one thing I was listening to in the last couple of weeks, which has resonated with me is, you know, what are some of the distractions, you know, so we're going to have traction towards where we're going or distraction, which will take us away. And we often right. get so distracted from where we want to go. And so I think, you know, as I kind of listened to this podcast, it really had me thinking about, gee, what vision did I set, say, with, you know, some of the organizations I'm with? And are we going back to that vision all the time? You know, everybody does typically their their vision, mission, values, and the, we bring in somebody to present. We have flip charts all around on the walls and, you know, and then, uh, and then at the end of the session, they get rolled up and they end up in somebody's office and they're typically never looked at again. And so, you know, for me, um, it's always like, how do you, how do we be vision driven and value based? And, you know, and, and how we establish and maybe, you know, say in a sporting context, what are some of these behaviors that are going to go along with the, the values that, that you've established? Because um, that's, uh, I think that's where, uh, where I think the core, some of the key things are. And so I think if we can be grounded in these things, there's, you know, in a world that's full of distractions at the moment, if we can have, you know, clear things that guide our decision-making process to get us to the vision that we want to have, actually makes life a whole lot simpler. Right. And, uh, I'm a pretty simple person, Dave, and I always think my job in coaching is to make, you know, the complex simple. Probably people think I'm stupid, but it's like, I'm, you know, how do you make things as simple as possible? And so that's kind of the outlook I kind of have on, you know, have on life. And maybe I'm over simplistic at time. I don't know, but it's the way I see it. <laughs> Well, you're, you're in these development roles where people need to build up these basic skills at, at the start. And without them, then a national program is not going to be successful, as you've stated. So uh, how do you get somebody who's maybe um, at a higher level now and make things simple that so that the game flows and that they're able to work with maybe less talented people around them? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think rugby's done a lot of learning from soccer. You know, I think we've been influenced by soccer a fair amount. I'm a, I'm a big Eddie Jones fan, the coaches England. Um, right, yeah. I'm fortunate enough to kind of be on a couple of courses that Eddie's ran through World Rugby. And uh, just, he's actually got a brilliant book, uh, Eddie Jones Leadership. I'd recommend it, Dave. A very good book. Um, but he talks about, uh, what you know, what's your games model? And, you know, you've got your, your moments in the game. You know, you've got attack, transition from attack to defense, defense, and then obviously from defense to uh, defense to attack. And so you know, what are your, your kind of moments in the game? What are the principles that you're, you're guiding principles? And I think often if we can go back to our principles and stick to our key principles of you know, things that we believe are going to help with your, your style of play or your winning style of play, uh, that helps kind of simplify things often for players. So definitely something that I've been learning quite a lot about on, particularly around like, um, you know, weekly periodization and things like that. So it's been, uh, it's been good. What are, what are a few examples or kind of techniques that other coaches could, could take from, mm -hmm. from that principle or, or kind of theory and more, more applicable uh, uh, sideline type stuff then? Yeah, I think it's a good, it's a good question. I think for, you know, for, for me, it's having clarity around, you know, I think uh, clarity is the new clever. 
So have some clarity yeah. around what you, what you want to try and do. So I know in our program, we typically try and have like a bit of a an install day on a Monday where we'll maybe implement some things when we're walking, jogging at a slower pace. You know, we're getting some understanding of what we're trying to do. And so if I my typical week, we'd kind of go like, let's have some clarity at the beginning of the week. Let's add some intensity as we go. And then let's make sure the accuracy is is, is there towards the end of the week before competition. So right. that's kind of typically how, you know, I would I would say run a week in a, in a simple, uh, you know, example. So get our clarity Monday. We'll probably work pretty hard Tuesday, you know, um, some technical coaching. It'll be our physical day. Wednesday will be a bit of a recovery day, maybe some clarity. And then Thursday would be our fast day where we're trying to execute things uh, at a good speed. So that's typically the way that we would, uh, and I like theming things. So, you know, we talk about Mondays like PGMs, personal growth Mondays. So, you know, the team I'm working with, we get to do some skills and we get to learn a bit. Um, transition Tuesday, we'll play lots of, you know, lots of games. Uh, wellness Wednesday, Fast Thursday, Fab Friday. <laughs> you know, so you got to try and, you know, take something that could be potentially quite mundane and make it a bit more exciting. So, um, that's that's typically what our week would look like, and then obviously we'd compete typically on a Saturday. Nice. Now you are actually extremely talented, and I I think this is why you really kind of went from once again that 22 year old uh, rookie coach to to being at such high levels and making a career from yourself is making it interesting and is how you can motivate people. That's that's kind of always been been a skill of yours that that I've observed. And uh, yeah, you've got all this technical stuff down pat now. What are some of the just kind of laid back motivational or intense motivational aspects that, that you bring to, to your teams and that other coaches can bring? Yeah, I think um, it's a good question. Thanks for the compliment. Uh, I think I said it's probably happened more by accident. And you know, I think when you've had experiences as a younger person, you you typically take on and do what you've been taught or you do the opposite because you haven't necessarily had a positive experience. And I was probably, you know, the latter. And while I think we're, you know, we're creatures of habits, we crave stimulus, you know, right. and, uh, and I think we, we have to keep, you know, nudging the needle. We have to keep progressing. We have to keep developing. And, uh, and we're, and, and players that these days are, are open to change. You know, they want to learn new things and do new things. And so I think that's been a part of it. Uh, I think too as well, like with your culture, it's a culture that we design. It has to be designed and it has to be intentional and it has to be planned. You know, and it's something that happens on a daily basis. And I think it's, uh, you know, your culture really is what you celebrate. So right. at the moment in the team I'm with, we have a FTG for the girls award that gets, uh, that, that goes out every single week. And it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily the most skilled player or the most talented individual. It's a, uh, you know, who's been putting the who's been putting the work in? So we've uh, we've got four main things. It's live it, love it, earn it, fight for it, and then I will and we will. And so you know we had our team you know discuss what that looked like, and we kind of brought it to life, established what some behaviors would be, and then maybe what would be some cueing or some re reset things to get them back on track. And so one of the things at the moment for uh, for um, you know earn it is uh, obtain the grain <laughs> so go earn the bread which makes me giggle so we're there's a lot of things like that that we're doing which i think help create this environment and i also think your culture environment you know it needs to be co-created you know um it can't just be me you know thrust you know pushing what i want it has to necessarily be a you know a collaborative approach and so yeah it might be um 
yeah, that's the way I see it. I kind of shared vision for what we want the program to look like because it's not my team, you know, it's our team. You know, <laughs> right, and that's, uh, that's probably um, an area that I think's worked well. And I'm fortunate that the teams I've been with have had some fantastic leaders, um, you know, which has been great, which has helped navigate and create some of them cultures. Nice. But I also think, too, as well, people make up their mind pretty quickly, you know, whether they're, um, you know, whether they're, uh, whether they belong or not. And uh, Owen Eastwood's got a fantastic book um, and it's, uh, it's called Belonging. And I took a lot of stuff from that, um, which, and we just, the desire we have for, for connection, you know, um, right. we, we want to feel that sense of belonging. We want to be connected to something, you know, maybe something of a, a higher purpose. And that's what we're talking about at the moment with the program I'm in. How do we create the best rugby program in North America? you know, kind of collegiate and university level and understand that we'll plant trees that we'll never see and the program will far outlast anything that we ever do. You know, whether they're for two years, six years, 10 years, whatever, how can we build on a good program that's there and make it even better? That's the exciting thing for you right now, isn't it? Because you're not only brought in to be coaching women's rugby, you're there to also help implement new coaching programs throughout the entire university, correct? Yeah, um, there's yeah we've got some. So part of my job is to support coaches. Um, we've got some incredible coaches at the university. We've done some unbelievable things. I think our track and field coach has been to five Olympic games. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell him how to coach. <laughs> you know, he's got he's got a lot of experience. You know, but is there you know is there conversations and dialogue that can be had where we you know we try and stretch each other, we try and challenge each other, and I feel like every time we have a meeting, it turns into a personal mentoring session for me because he's got so much experience, you know, um, which is great. But, yeah, we've got the coaches. We've got a really good um, our basketball coach, um, you know, for the men's team coaches, the professional team in Edmonton, you know, um, just as one example. We've got, we've got so many great coaches in the department, and it's, um, it's, been, it's been great just to, to learn and see how they work and then not, not be biased in terms of how we think things should be coached. You know, so going into other sessions and observing with an open mind and go, gee, I wonder, right. why, they, you know, I wonder why they do that. You know, instead of being, oh, we don't do this. I remember spending a couple of days with the Calgary Flames a number of years ago um, when Brian Burke was still with the Flames. He was obviously involved with Rugby Canada as a board member and going in and being like, almost being like quite critical, going, well, I wouldn't do that and I wouldn't do that. But I've got no context around any of it. I'm seeing a snapshot of what they do. You know, in rugby, right. we would typically do our preview of the opposition on Monday at the start of the week where they might not do it till the morning skate. But we've got a whole week to prepare while they might actually play three games in a week. So just understanding a great understanding of how things operate, how different sports operate, cultural things within sports. Um, You know, it's what have been some of the cultural differences you've picked up so far then between the sports? Well, um, an example would be, and this is quite funny actually. My first game for the with the university this year, I had done my coaching by the you know during the week. Um, and then, you know, the game game time comes Saturday and I'm going up to sit in the stands with my radio and have a cup of coffee, you know, and, and all the other coaches were like, you're not going to coach? I'm like, well, I've done all my coaching during the week. There's not a lot that I can do in the moment, which is going to change the outcome of the game. And, you know, find some of these like Disney movies fascinating, you know, like Coach Carter and things like that, you know, like and just the culture of the sports and how, you know, the coach is going to completely change the outcome of a game. And I don't necessarily believe that's true, you know, and so... Right. Um, and they they were just sort of shocked that I was sitting up 
in the stands watching. Um, <laughs> and then when I go to basketball, it's coaches up and down the sideline are pretty animated and they're, you know, they're, they're timeouts, they're swapping the bench and they're rolling subs all the time. Like it's a completely different sport, you know, and how, you know, basketball can almost like change their playing style uh, on the fly just when making subs and things like that. So I find that part really quite, um, really quite interesting. That's been probably the main difference. Or soccer, I think soccer is fascinating. You know, like our soccer teams at the university, they, they, they all look the same, they dress the same, they kind of smell the same, you know, and where you know, our team, they, they're kind of rock up and they, they typically wear what they want to train in. And, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> wear what you feel comfortable in. And yeah, we'll have our uniforms for game day, but, you know, typically train in what you want, want to train in. So they're just some of the things that I've noticed, you know, uh, but yeah, some of the other sports are, you know, fascinating in terms of how they how they approach things. So it's been really cool to to learn how how other sp- coaches run their programs, why they right, run their definitely. programs in certain ways, um, how they interact with players. So um, yeah, that's been it's been you know well not shared a lot of detail there, but it's been quite a fascinating learning experience. No kidding. So what have you brought from the rugby perspective to these other sports then? I think rugby is probably big is the biggest thing or one of its biggest strengths is its uh, its willingness to collaborate. I think that's probably right. the biggest thing. Any coaches I speak with, they're like they will share anything, and I'll typically share anything I have with anybody, because the more we share, well, one, the more we have to grow and learn and keep growing, uh, and two, it's it's going to help the game grow and it's going to help everybody get better. Why would we hold something? You know, why would we hold something close like it's going to be our point of difference? Like, hey, this is how we run our sessions. You know, this is how we, this is how we run our season. This is how we structure things. Um, that part for me is is uh, is rugby's biggest advantage: the willingness and openness to share resources. I've heard that before too. Uh, one example that kind of comes to to my mind is uh, in the U.S. Uh, they're they're basically transitioning other athletes in, into rugby uh, to to build up the sport as well. And uh, a couple of comments I heard was that uh, from these athletes transitioning sports was how much the team that was established actually accepted them. Whereas in essence, basically you're taking this really strong athlete who's probably going to take somebody's position. Maybe not for the entire season, but for for a good chunk of it, and yet there's still that collaboration and and uh, bond between everyone, which I, I don't think you you really can find in in any other sport. We've actually had a couple of crossover athletes come from soccer to rugby um, for our seven season, and then some of the things they said like was just how welcoming it was, and it's competitive, but it's collaborative, so. Right. In rugby, let's use an example. You might have two scrum halves or two hookers that are both fighting for the same spot, but they're working and training together all the time to get better. Right. And so yeah. you're constantly raising the standard, and they're actually celebrating when the other person's been successful. You know, where often, you know, I always love, you know, what's your culture like? Well, let's look at the bench when something happens. Is everybody on the sideline celebrating when your team scores a try or scores a goal or, there's a couple of people that are maybe a bit upset and sulky that they're not on the starting team. 
And I get it because, you know, being, you know, team selection is probably one of the most divisive things in any in any group. And that was one of the conversations we had earlier is, okay, team selection is going to be the one of the most divisive things that, that could disrupt our environment. How are we going to handle it? And let's uh, let's establish in a process of how team selection will work. What, you know, how will we communicate with those that aren't selected? And what's the expectations of those that aren't selected? So right. I'd much rather have these conversations on the front end and try and repair on the back end. And I think that's the thing I've learned, uh, you know, and again, from Eddie Jones, he talks about mining for conflict. And I've had some really... I think that's brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Like even with our with team of coaching this year, like our captain didn't necessarily get to play a whole lot and, and she was pretty cheesed off and I, and I understood it. But I could tell. And so I'm like, well, I've got an opportunity to have a conversation, strengthen my relationship with her. Um, you know, and let's, let's talk about this and let's work through it. And so these are, uh, you know, these are great, um, you know, I think good things that, that create a better connection between the, you know, the, the player and the coach. And I think that athlete coach relationship is so important, um, you know, f- for having some success. And this guy called Pat Lamb did a really good podcast. And he talks about, you know, your vision drives your leadership, your leadership drives your culture, your culture drives your behaviors, your behaviors you know, drives performance, your performance drives your legacy. And so that kind of really stuck, uh, you know, really stuck out to me. And uh, oh, definitely. You know, uh, and how you're, yeah, the relationships you have uh, developed within the team and between the player and the coach is going to be really, really important. But ultimately your performance is going to be your currency in terms of, you know, playing minutes and games and stuff like that. So. Right. So yeah, the so with- piece is unbelievable. With all this this culture and perspective, uh, uh, different coaches out there obviously may struggle going from coaching youth to coaching adults to being a men's coach to being a women's coach. Have you found most of this being easily, smoothly transitioned by yourself or have you had to make big changes, say going from the men's national team to women's university team? Yeah, they were basically my last two coaching jobs and they're very different, you know, very different. I think, um, you know, probably, you know, going into the um, the women's game uh, at the moment has been, I find it fascinating. I've enjoyed it. Um, reality is we're coaching, we're coaching people and then we're coaching the sport. You know, it's always right. people first, activity second. If I don't know them, then I can't coach them. If I don't know them, I can't lead them. So I would spend a huge amount of time and energy trying to learn about the players, their their backgrounds, you know, what drives them, you know, why they're here. Because um, I always think it's the, you know, the why, the why and the who equals the, you know, the what, you know. So right. why are they here? You know, who are they? And, you know, that will kind of drive what we do in our, in our environment. So I think um, I've probably come a bit more empathetic, I would say. And then I also think that... Um, it's helped me to, you know, really just um, make sure that I'm being concise and I'm a clear why, why we do things, you know. And, and while that's probably one of the most important things we do in our coaching, we learn our coaching practice, but they want to know, well, why are we doing this? Where sometimes the guys would just get on and do it and not necessarily, you know, um, ask as many questions. So right. I think that part's been good. And then just being in, in just in terms of developing processes again, this has been the cool thing. So when I was coaching Canada, I was, had a full-time job as well. So I'd be like full-time executive director of the provincial sporting organization and then go straight into coaching mode. 
And so you're never really getting any time to regenerate and refresh. I'd come back from tour on, say, a Sunday night, and I'm back to work Monday morning. So you just end up in a state where you're just fatigued. So just changing right now and knowing that, you know, I think for coaches, we have to look at our performance as much as we look at a player's performance. And some right, of the things yes. that we do to ourselves, we would never ask a player to do, to be running on fumes, lack of sleep, you know, poor nutrition, you know, things that we would absolutely not accept from an athlete. But often these are the situations that we put ourselves in and under. And I so, think that's massive. What have you learned from basically that sport performance, keeping the brain and body in that peak condition that you've put into your regular routines then? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I try and bookend my days at the moment. I got to win my morning. Like having a morning routine has been incredibly helpful for me. You know, which is what does that look like? Yeah, roll out of bed. What is yours? <laughs> yeah, uh, roll out of bed, make my bed because that's the first thing. You know, when, you know, make my bed, um, and then I'll do as many push-ups as I can in one go. You know, um, I had a, a rodeo injury from last summer, so it took me a while to get back into push-ups. <laughs> but um, you know, you know, do as many push-ups as I can. I'll then go and shower. I'll always end my shower with a, at least you know minute and a half to two minutes of a cold shower. And then try and have some uh, some water before I have a coffee. Like that's my morning routine, and and I just find it sets me up well for the day. Uh, I remember when I was kind of finished coaching my Canada. I was about had two young kids. Um, I was working full time. I was just exhausted, and I couldn't even like I was getting a bad habit. I would get out out of bed and I'd literally go straight to the office, and I wouldn't shower. I wouldn't move. I'd be straight wow. in a coffee. I was in some real bad habits, and so you know, changing them to win my mornings just made, made me way better. And then also just trying to set boundaries, you know, and the team I'm with, I've got probably, I work with, I don't know, 30, 30 athletes, you know, I'll be working across maybe 10 or 12 coaches. And it's like, how do I make sure that, you know, I have some boundaries uh, at home and I'm, I'm working on this. I'm not great at it yet, but <laughs> we get attached to our cell phones nonstop and we're always available. And, uh, you know, how do I try and make sure I get some opportunities to unwind? And so, um, it's been great to spend a little bit more time with the kids. We've been horse riding, we've been swimming, you know, we've been doing some home rentals, just things that just take me away from the, you know, from the, the coaching job because it can, we can let it consume our whole life. And uh, I, I don't necessarily believe in, in balance because I think we have to be invested in anything if we're going to be successful. Right. But I'm really understanding uh, how important it is that we have time to regenerate um, you know, um, so that we can be at our best. You know, a player, we would never send a player to competition if they're exhausted. But No, it, it wouldn't work out, not at all. It wouldn't work. Yeah, we, but we do it as coaches. We do it to ourselves all the time. There's a guy called Cody Royal, an Australian guy who used to coach the Canadian uh, AFL team. Uh, he's doing some unbelievable work at the moment and trying to change the narrative around coaching. You know, you hear these stories of, you know, college football coaches or university football coaches sleeping in their office and, you know, and it's like, what's what's the cost benefit? What what return are you getting on your investment for that kind of you know, 20 hour days? And, and, you know, we've all been there and done it. I remember being in Fiji with the national team in 2015 and I was doing skills coaching and analysis. And so after a game, I'd be up all night tagging, you know, the games probably get to bed at like six or seven in the morning. We're up for team meeting at nine. And I'm like, there's no way that I could even give anybody, uh, you know, my best, um, you know, because I'm exhausted. 
you know yeah. and so how do you make actually. sure that your cup's full so that you can because you can't pour from an empty cup and coaching and leadership requires energy you know and emotion oh, and if you don't have that amount <laughs> you're not going to yeah. be successful so that's probably be i'd say the biggest the biggest learning you know i've taken in the last uh, couple of years you know having time to regenerate so you have energy to invest now, have you picked up any little hacks as well to increase your energy and and uh, basically brain performance? Yeah, so my wife's um, she's way more athletic and way better looking and way smarter than me, and so she's been on that. She runs this uh, health and kind of nutrition program, and so um, obviously when you're when she's doing something at home, it's very difficult for me not to do it as well, you know. Right. So, we uh, we actually did an eight week health program, which was fascinating. And just starting to see just see the relationship between nutrition and uh, mental health. Um, yes. You know, I just in my own experience, I'm I'm never going to speak to it on anybody else because you know I'm not don't have experience in that field. But just knowing for me that when I'm sleeping well, when I'm eating well, when I'm hydrated, just the difference. And for me, um, you know, when I say I had all them bad habits, that was probably when my eating was at its bit worst and. You know, through, so through this program, yeah, I think I dropped about 40 pounds. I feel way better. I'm exercising regularly now. Um, you know, I'll be, you know, I'll be out walking the dogs, running, lifting weights. Uh, and I just feel way better. And I'm in a much better headspace. So I think I'm probably starting to figure out how to regulate myself a bit better and making sure that even if I do get off track, because we all do, we're human beings, but how to get yes. back on track quickly um, or much quicker than probably I did before. Definitely. Now, kind of the last uh, brain performance type aspect, we're in uh, a major collision sport and there's been a lot of concussions within the sport and a lot more awareness, obviously, about it. Um, being kind of in that coaching realm, seeing the impact that this can happen, what's been your experience in that realm? Yeah, it's fast. It's, um, it's fascinating. Um, you know, it's, uh, the game's changed a lot. You know, as it's you right. said, collision sport. It's not necessarily a contact sport; it's a collision sport. So things have uh, <clears throat> things have changed. I think some of the sports science and the you know the, and, the med- and the medical research behind it is much, is far superior. I think there's a lot more awareness now than there's ever been. And I think as well as as coaches, how do we make sure that our players are safe? Well, they have to be in good condition. Yes. We have to make sure that their neck strength is is good because often a lot of the mm-hmm. concussions are coming from you'll know about the maybe type injuries um and then how do we make sure that we make them as technically competent as possible um so that they can put they can be in safe positions um and i think you know when the more technically competent they are the more confident they are and so how do we make sure that we do everything that we can to support the athletes be confident and competent um so that we can make them as safe as as we as we possibly can you know i think there's we're all aware of stories and Things that are, um, you know, the, the long-term effect of, you know, multiple con- concussions and, you know, and, and, and injuries and things like that. And so we want to make sure we protect the players as best as possible. And, you know, there's some there's been some instances in the last week in the Six Nations that have been some outcry with players getting yes. almost knocked out and then playing, you know, being in the squad seven days later. So I think we do need to put the player welfare first because we're really still figuring this out as to the long-term impacts. Um there's a guy I Absolutely. played with in Scotland called uh, John Shaw, who, you know, who's been pretty well documented on the BBC around the effect, effects of the concussions he's had. 
you know, and just at some points just kind of almost like blacks out. And so we've got to make sure that we're looking after the players uh, as much as we possibly can. Definitely. No, I, I appreciate your comments on that. And obviously it's, it's been a big aspect of what I do clinically. So just to see the whole atmosphere and coaching and, and player concern being, being the utmost um, mind is, is extremely valuable to, and to hear and for athletes to hear that, yeah, you need to recover. You need to get better after these. And one little tiny head knock um, and you get another one is cumulative. So it does take time and, and there's more and more coming out and, and better techniques to help these athletes out. Um, I really appreciate your time, your comments, everything from leadership to different aspects of health performance, everything you've provided us here today. If somebody wants to contact you or find out more about yourself, uh, how would they do that? Yeah, I'd love to, love to chat. Um, you know, um, just maybe just to wrap up here, you know, you take a look, like I say, I'm a culture guy, a team guy. Culture just means in Latin to care. So if I was to like put a player in a vulnerable position to go out and play, if you know, if they've had a head knock or whatever, uh, right. I wouldn't be necessarily living what, what, what I say I'm about. You know, and our, uh, our family motto, Dave, is that, uh, you know, for translated from Latin to English is aspire for greater things. You know, and so I love that's it. culture is like, and I'm trying to, you know, I don't know if it's where I've got more patriotic the longer I've been away from home, you know, but it's like, it's the more I, um, you know, the more I try and live that, try and live that every day and that kind of be our, the kind of the vision for whatever, you know, I'm, I'm doing. And so we're going to make sure that we help the players be the best they possibly can be, you know, not yes. put them in pos- positions where they could, uh, they could be harmed. You know, if that's, uh, you know, if that's physically or even just psychologically. And so uh, something that we definitely work towards. But yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. It's probably the best place. Um, or, or email. <laughs> um, You're a Twitter like guy, are you? Oh, I, there's so much good learning on Twitter. So many, so many good people to follow. So I'm just yep. trying, I don't, I don't know what my handle is. My handle is just at Graham Moffat. So um, that's me there. That's probably the place or, or email which is just graham.moffat at ulef.ca. That'd be my, that'd be the best place to get me. But certainly love to have a coffee and learn from other people because there's uh, I always just to think that, you know, when I taught post-secondary education at the college, it was, um you know, lifelong learning. And I thought it was right. the biggest lot of crap ever. And people just go <laughs> and get an education so they can go and get a job. Where, where now it's like learning is the job. And, uh, you know, how to yeah. make sure that we're learning every day to, to improve and get better. And if that's through some of the reading, you know, if that's the people that we're associated, associated with, uh, you know, how do you just keep learning and growing? And then how do you filter what actually works for you? When I was a younger coach, I'd probably just go watch a session and watch an expert coach and just copy and, and almost try and emulate what they do and who they were um, instead of probably spending time to figure out who I was and how I was going to coach and, you know, what did the players need? So, nice. Yeah, I was up for a chat. So if there is one last thing you can leave everybody with, what would it be? Um, if I talk to coaches, um, look after yourself and make sure you've got a, a good support network around you because coaching uh, can be quite a lonely place. We always joke right. about it at the university. When the coach or a team wins, everybody's in the WhatsApp group. Hey, high five, well done. There's not many comments when teams are getting beat. You know, no, there so, um, yeah, have a good support network and then prioritize time to, to regenerate. 
Um, that would be my that would be my 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 preach if you like to the coaching community. I haven't made all them mistakes myself. <laughs> awesome. Well, once again, Graham, I appreciate your time and stay tuned for another Hardy Brain episode sometime shortly. And for everyone else, take care and build your brain. <laughs>